Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast, the best laid plans edition. As we look back at a five-point loss to the Chargers that saw the Bengals follow their game plan to a T. They ran the ball effectively, controlled the clock, did not commit a turnover, stopped Phillip Rivers and the Chargers on third down, and still found a way to lose. Coming up, you'll hear radio replays, locker room interviews with key players, and Dave Lapham will join me for post-game analysis. Plus, in this week's Fun Fags interview, you'll get to know safety Brandon Wilson. Among other things, we'll discuss the former head football coach for four years at his high school. You might have heard of the guy, Doug Peterson, the current head coach of the defending Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since the search engine. In choosing a name for this edition of the podcast, I thought of the expression, the best laid plans of mice and men, a saying used to suggest that no matter how carefully something is planned, things may still go wrong. Then I realized I don't know where that expression comes from, so I Google searched it. It's from the poem, To a Mouse, written by Robert Burns in the 1700s, and it includes the line, The best laid schemes of mice and men go often askew. Now you know that. Let's get to football. The L.A. Chargers entered Sunday's game with a 15-4 record in their last 19 games. Nobody has a better mark during that stretch, so... It was no surprise that the Chargers were favored by more than two touchdowns at home against the injury-ravaged Bengals. It was also no surprise when L.A. opened the game with a six-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. First and ten at the Bengals' 14-yard line. Rivers, with a glove on his left hand, catches the shotgun snap, throws it toward the end zone. He has a man open, and it's a touchdown for the Chargers. A beautiful throw, lofted over the shoulder. Keenan uh, Allen with the catch. Keenan Allen made the catch. Darquest Nard in coverage, and Keenan Allen ran a great route. It's the 26th straight game with a touchdown pass for Rivers, but it turned out to be his only one of the day, ending Phillips' streak of 13 straight games with two or more touchdown passes, two short of Peyton Manning's NFL record. The Bengals answered with a field goal, but quickly fell behind 14 to three as the Chargers also went 75 yards to score on their second possession. Eckler lines up seven yards behind the line at the 12-yard line, hands on knees, second and goal from the five for the Chargers. A receiver goes in motion, that's Benjamin. Here's a handoff to Eckler, and he will run into the end zone for a Chargers touchdown. A five-yard run for Austin Eckler, and the Chargers have scored touchdowns on their first two possessions. Two possessions, two touchdowns, and 150 yards of offense. It looked like it could be another butt-kicking similar to the Chiefs or Saints games. As it turned out, far from it. For the rest of the game, the Bengals' defense was spectacular, allowing 138 yards and no touchdowns on the Chargers' final eight drives. Here's safety Jesse Bates on slowing down Phillip Rivers. Once we started to move around a little bit, um, you know, disguising a lot, we, we got a good feel of what he was you know, looking at and how how deep in the play clock he was going. Um, I think that kind of flustered him a little bit. The Bengals appeared to score their first touchdown with five and a half minutes left in the half. 
when quarterback Jeff Driscoll scrambled to the right and dove toward the end zone, extending the ball over the goal line for a one-yard score. But after a replay review, the officials ruled that Driscoll had given himself up and was down inches from the goal line. Here's the Bengals quarterback. I've never seen that before, but, you know, if that's the rule, that's the rule. And, you know, you can't you can't argue with an official for, if that's the rule, that's the rule. Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe they need to relook at the rule, but I, I obviously was not giving myself up. But if that's how the rule's interpreted, it is what it is. And, you know, unfortunately that, that hurt. The call was the result of a rule change in the offseason. For years, in an attempt to protect quarterbacks, defenders have had to ease up when a QB goes into a feet-first slide. Head-first dives were treated differently. Not anymore. Now, a diving quarterback is treated just like a sliding one. The play is dead when any body part hits the ground. That's why Driscoll's touchdown was taken off the board. But you know what? It shouldn't have mattered. The Bengals were about a nostril hair from the goal line and should have been able to score easily on fourth down. But offensive lineman Alex Redman moved before the snap and his five-yard penalty forced the Bengals to kick a field goal, reducing the deficit to 14-6. to Here's Redman. I mean, that's, that's, some, that's some rookie shit. I can't be letting it happen. So, yeah, it is, it is frustrating. In the second quarter, the Bengals' defense actually began to dominate driving the Chargers backward on three straight three and outs. It is third down and one. Chargers stick with the empty backfield in five wides. Rivers scanning the Bengals defense, catches a high shotgun snap, being chased by Dunlap. He's got him. He'll sack him back at the six-yard line. Dunlap's eighth sack of the season forced the Chargers to punt from the back of their end zone allowing the Bengals to start a drive at the L.A. 35-yard line with 135 left in the half. Five plays later, they were in the end zone. Three receivers out to the right, one to the left. Nobody wide of the numerals. Driscoll catches a shotgun snap. He's back to throw. Good protection. His throw caught by John Ross. Right over the middle for a Bengals touchdown, and he was wide open. A crosser, Dan. Crossers have been good. That's the sixth touchdown reception for John Ross, and he's not even close to 20 catches yet. It's crazy. Ross is from nearby Long Beach, California, and had about 25 friends and relatives in attendance. One of the best feelings I've had, you know, uh, in a very long time. Um, definitely the best feeling I've had playing in a, in a in a stadium since I've been, you know, um, in college or in the, in, the, in the NFL. So I was just. Nothing can beat playing in front of your family and your friends and your son. How do you think you're doing yourself personally uh, this season? I think I'm doing okay, uh, which is not good enough. Um, <clears throat> I think there's always room for, for, for improvement no matter who you are, and especially me. You know, I hold myself to a high standard, and, um, you know, I, I think I'm still, you know, figuring it out, you know, finding find an identity. And, um, um, I will say this, though, it's, it's much more smoother than it was last year. Ross's touchdown made it 14-12. to 12 with 20 seconds left in the half. They're gonna go for two and try to tie it with 20 seconds left in the half. So chasing points early, not necessarily recommended, but we'll see if it works. Two receivers to each side of the formation. Driscoll back to throw. He swings it out to the right to Bernard, and he is tackled at the five yard line. As if that wasn't bad enough, the final 20 seconds of the half were a comical disaster. The Chargers used 10 seconds to return the kickoff to the 32-yard line, leaving 10 seconds in the half. 
Back-to-back 11-yard completions used up nine of those seconds and moved L.A. to the Bengals' 46-yard line. Not close enough for a field goal attempt, so Rivers dropped back to throw a Hail Mary pass and got sacked by Dunlap and Sam Hubbard. But inexplicably, Jordan Willis was offside. That moved the ball to the 41-yard line, allowing the Chargers to bring out rookie kicker Michael Badgley. Badgley made the game winner at the gun last Sunday night in Pittsburgh on his third try. The Bengals do have a returner waiting in the back of the end zone. Here comes the 59-yard attempt. It looks like it is long enough, and it is good. Wow. Wow. How about that? Here's Jesse Bates on the two critical first-half penalties. I think that's losing football. I mean, we got a chance to score on, the, on not even the one-yard line. We jump offside and it's a field goal. That's four points. And then you know, right before the half, we, you know, we're about to go inside halftime. Our offense is getting the ball back. Um, and we jump offside and give them three more points. So that's a seven-point you know, swing right there. The Bengals got the ball down by five points to begin the third quarter and on their opening drive faced fourth and less than a yard at their own 35-yard line. Marvin Lewis elected to go for it. Driscoll under center. He's going to hand it off. Mixon. Trying to fight for the yardage, he won't get there. Doesn't Boy, come close. That was a great wall of uh, China right there. I thought hammered up inside where those young guys had been operating so efficiently and effectively. And the uh, Los Angeles Chargers said, nah, baby, nah. That led to an easy Chargers field goal and a 20-12 to lead. Here's Coach Lewis. We've got less than four inches to go, five inches to go, and we don't make it. I mean... You know, those things, we got to make those, man. We're, we're counting on them to make it. On their next possession, the Bengals drove to the L.A. 34. But rather than attempt a 52-yard field goal, they lined up to go for it on fourth and seven before a penalty on Billy Price forced the Bengals to punt. Lap asked Marvin about passing up the field goal try. Was it a tough decision not to go for that 52-yard field goal? Was it right on the border of what you thought maybe his range might be? Well, I thought with the wind today and, and just the way it was, the wind was crosswind, and it was going, you know, in warm-ups, uh, we didn't feel comfortable with it. On the Bengals' next drive, Bullock was given the opportunity to attempt a 46-yard field goal, and he drilled it with room to spare to pull the Bengals back within five. L.A. answered with a field goal to push the lead back to eight, but Cincinnati was still within a touchdown and a two-point conversion with 7.45 to go. Matt Lengel goes in motion. Driscoll takes the direct snap. It's a run to the right for Mixon. Charging up the middle for a first down. Still going all the way down to the 11-yard line. What a run for Joe Mixon. And the Bengals are 11 yards away after that 19-yard run. Again, between the tackles. Those young guys up front, in the middle, they're operating very, very efficiently. Mixon finished with 26 carries for 111 yards. Here's Jeff Driscoll on Joe's performance. We've been saying we got to be able to run the football. That's going to set everything else up. Um, and I thought Joe did a, did a great job today, you know, hitting the holes when the holes were there and, and creating when maybe there wasn't as much, uh, you know, free room to run. So, I, I mean, I thought he competed and, and ran really hard. And, um, you know, I'm just... You know, it was fun to watch him uh, play well today. Mixon gave the Bengals a chance to tie the game with less than two minutes to go. Sam Hubbard in at fullback. First and goal from the one. Driscoll hands it to Mixon. He is in. A touchdown from the one-yard line for Joe Mixon. And now the Bengals will try for a two-point conversion in hopes of tying the game with 150 to go. 
The Bengals have not had a two-point conversion in 56 games. Longest streak of any team in the NFL. They will try for one here to tie the game. Driscoll back to throw. Looking, still looking, sacked back at the 15-yard line. That's a covered sack right there, man, because he had nowhere to go with the football, and you can't throw it away. You have to try to create a play, and he couldn't find anybody to throw it to. Has to, and he takes the sack. The failed two-point try forced the Bengals to attempt an onside kick, and that failed as well. The Bengals have not had a successful onside kick since 2010. They are 0 for 6 since. The Chargers added three points on Badgley's fourth field goal of the game to win it 26-21. to Here are John Ross and Clayton Fedulum. It was a wake-up call, like, you know, we are better than what people think you know um and you know we actually we, we were playing we're playing really good it's just it's just we gotta put everything together you know and it'll come uh, i never you never feel good after a loss um doesn't matter if you lose by 100 you lose by one point losses you know you know i hate losing more than i like winning so you know it hurts um you know it, were there some positives out there absolutely most notably the play of the defense the Bengals held the Chargers to 288 yards, the fewest the Bengals have allowed in a game all season, and 145 yards below the whopping 433 that teams have been averaging against Cincinnati this season. The Chargers were also just 5 for 13 on third down. That's 38%, well below the Bengals' league-worst average of 54% going in. Now time to bring in my broadcast partner Dave Lapham for post-game analysis, and we start with the critical mistakes that cost the Bengals an upset win. You know, you can't put yourself in your schedule, and you only have six penalties for 34 yards or whatever it is, but four of those six penalties were crucial. I mean, you know, one at the at the one-inch line that makes you settle for a field goal. There's four points off the board potentially because they were going for it on fourth down and literally less than a foot. Uh, and then at the conclusion of the half, they have a sack, and there's a penalty because Jordan Willis jumps uh, – and, you know, now it's it's lined up for a 59-yard field goal, makes it. So there's seven points right there, worst-case scenario, in a five-point loss. And it's it's just it's just unfortunate. I mean, you do a lot of a lot of things right, but when the chips are on the line, you know, there, there's not that margin for error. And I think guys maybe start, you know, realizing, oh, man, I you know, I, I can't make a mistake. And then that's when you might make mistakes. You just have to play kind of free and easy. And uh, it's, it's unfortunate because... Very, there's only two teams in the NFL at this stage of the season that have run the football more than they've thrown it. And both of them have winning records. Um, and the Bengals did that today. They ran the ball more than they threw it. And I thought, you know, they, I still didn't really think that they had a big attack throwing the ball down the field. A lot of it was horizontal throwing. Uh, but th- I thought the game plan was, was sound. And I'll, I will never understand how they apply a, a rule of quarterback giving himself up at the one-inch line. I mean, I understand the rule. I understand the application rule. But there, when you're you're going to score and you're, you're stretching the ball out, I, I don't understand how you can apply it there. I don't know. But um, unfortunately, it was called, and and uh, that that's you know that's just another another thing you have to deal with when it when it rains it pours. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. But when it comes to a couple of uh, decisions during the course of the game, the decision to go for two with twenty seconds left in the second quarter, naturally you question chasing points that early in the game. The decision to run the ball on fourth and short early third quarter when you could a quarterback uh, try to quarterback sneak and possibly picked it up that way. Obviously, when it doesn't work, it's easy to second guess. 
but uh, those are some decisions that I'm sure a lot of people were first guessing as well. Yeah, I'm sure. And and if you decide to go for two, um, and you don't make it, then you have to. You know, at the end of the game, uh, you have to go for two. And the other thing is, if you're going to chase points and go for two, why don't you chase points and kick a 52-yard field goal, or at least try to? It's not congruous. You know, it's incongruous there. It's like they don't, they don't. The pattern doesn't doesn't follow. So. Um, you know, a 52-yard field goal in these weather conditions, he hit that 59-yarder with room to spare. And I think a 52-yarder is, is makeable. I didn't really detect a whole lot of wind or any kind of problems, but maybe they did. Uh, maybe they didn't like what they saw in pregame warm-ups or whatever. I, there has to be a reason for it, but, um, you know, that I'm sure people are thinking, well, if you're going for two, why aren't you trying that 52-yard field goal? I guess in hindsight, that's, that's my thought on that too. Biggest positive on the defensive end for me is this. The Chargers scored touchdowns on their first two possessions, did not score another touchdown in their last eight possessions of the game. Now, they did kick four field goals, including a couple of short fields where they got the ball in Bengals territory, but it's hard to imagine, or it's been hard to imagine, this defense, as badly as it struggled, holding a potent offense like that to eight possessions without a touchdown. And, and And to play the way they did after the start. You know, and, and to uh, to put your finger in the hole in the dike. You know, that's hard to do on the road against a really good quarterback. Uh, that's that's a really good football team. I mean, they're ten and three now. They may play, be playing the AFC Championship game here at StubHub. Boy, the league would love that, wouldn't they? Mm-hmm. But I mean, th- th- that's a really really good football team. And defensively, I thought the corners played hard. I thought it, uh, Joe Mixon played hard. Tyler Boyd played hard. The corners played hard. So many guys played hard. Played really really hard. Defensive guys were you know getting after it in the front uh, front line. You know, after the first couple of drives. So. The encouraging sign is they didn't spit the bit. You know, it didn't become an ugly situation. They made it a really, really good football game. And I thought the physicality of the three young guys inside was a plus. I thought I thought Westerman and, and Billy Price and Redman. Redman had that you know that tough penalty, obviously, but those guys were getting pushed. Now Joe Mixon was. He wasn't making his first cut in his own backfield. He was making his first cut three, four yards down the football field. And that's what you want to see with a back like that. Thanks, Lap. Up next, the home finale against the 3-10 and Oakland Raiders who stunned Pittsburgh on Sunday, 24-21. The Steelers are 7-5-1 with a home game against the Patriots this week, followed by a road game against the Saints. So much for resting starters against the Bengals in Week 17, the Steelers might have to beat Cincinnati just to qualify for the playoffs. The Bengals knocked the Ravens out of the playoffs in the final game of the year on the road last year. With so many players on injured reserve, they couldn't do it in Pittsburgh, could they? Could they? It would be fun to find out. Now time for this week's Fun Facts segment, where you get to know the person under the pads. In this case, a second-year safety and special team standout from the University of Houston. Time for some fun facts with Bengal safety Brandon Wilson from Shreveport, Louisiana, in the northwest tip of Louisiana, not far from the Texas and Mississippi borders. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Shreveport and what you like to do as a kid. Um, growing up, I mean, I like to do what every kid does, go outside, play, play video games. Um, but most of the time I really play football, I mean, like everybody else. So, I mean, just playing football, that was that was really my main thing and running track. Um, I feel like that's what kind of got me, you know, where I am today. You're from a big family. Yes, I have three brothers and three sisters, 
and I'm the middle child, so you know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the fourth out of five, so I do know how that goes. How excited are they to have a brother in the NFL? Oh, my goodness. They are very excited. I mean, they always call me every day, call me after games, ask me how was it, you know, just checking on me. And they, they're, they're all excited and proud for me, you know, just having a brother that's playing in the NFL. What did your parents do for a living? Um, my dad, he works at a factory, and my mom, she works as a custodian at an apartment complex. So, I mean, I kind of always looked up to them because they were always hard workers. Um, also, one of my brothers, um, I always kind of look up to him as well, you know, because just growing up and just seeing them work hard, you know, it, it always just pushed me to work hard as well. We're doing Fun Facts with Brandon Wilson. Your high school was Calvary Baptist Academy which was in the news last year because before Doug Peterson was the head coach of the Super Bowl-winning Philadelphia Eagles, he was the head coach at your high school for four years. Yep. Now, that was before you got there, but do you remember it at all? I remember it. I remember because um, my, my brother that's older than me, um, Zach Kendrick, he actually played under Coach P, and, you know, it was always cool just watching them, and I think – if I'm not mistaken, I think Brett Favre came up to the school one time, but I wasn't there. That's what somebody told me. Those were the rumors. So, I mean, it was always cool, you know, seeing him as a coach, you know, transitioning to where he is now. That must have been pretty neat for your brother when the Eagles won the Super Bowl last year and he could say, my high school coach is the coach. I mean, everybody that played under Coach Peterson at Calvary, they – on social media just going crazy. My my high school coach, you know, won the Super Bowl, you know. It was it was real cool just seeing that. We're talking to Brandon Wilson. You were a great high school running back, but not that heavily recruited, correct? Not heavily recruited at all. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I I had an offer from Washington, but they pulled the offer after they lost their bowl game to um, Baylor. I had an offer from Grambling as well in, I think, Eastern Michigan or something. But, I mean, it wasn't nowhere I really wanted to go. So um, later on, like, my process with it, I end up deciding to go to Tyler Junior College. So I end up signing to um, Tyler Junior College. And then, like, a month later or so, um, Houston came, and they offered me a scholarship. So I end up, you know, signing there. And the coach at TJC, he was like, I mean, if you don't like it at Houston, you can always just come back to TJC. And I was like, all right, so it's a win-win either way it goes. So it was a blessing just, you know, um, having that on the table it worked out well for you and it certainly worked out well for the houston cougars you did everything there defensive back running back return specialist you scored two touchdowns on offense two touchdowns on defense four touchdowns on special teams did you love doing everything it was fun honestly <laughs> i mean i always just told them whatever they need me to do i'll do it so i mean they just you know end up throwing me in there running back um, I, I guess because we had some injuries at running back like my junior year. So I ended up coming in that week, you know, and they just showed me the playbook. I learned it and ended up playing running back. I had like 120-some yards or something. I, I can't even remember. But, I mean, it was fun because we ended up winning our um, division and ended up going to the uh, Chick-fil-A Bowl. So that year was real, real fun. You had a great college career, and you also earned your college degree. What did that mean to your family? Being the first in my household to graduate, I just felt like um, I just felt like just getting that degree 
it kind of helped push my younger siblings because I got three siblings that's younger than me. I feel like it kind of pushed them to, you know, just see me, just knowing that they can, you know, reach that reach that goal as well. So that was real big for them. My parents were really proud of me. You didn't get invited to the Combine, but then you killed it at your pro day. A 4.36, 40-yard dash, 41-inch vertical leap. Could you see the NFL scouts scribbling furiously, making sure they had a lot of information about Brandon Wilson? I mean, I really wasn't paying attention, but everybody was like, yeah, man, the scouts, they saw you run. Everybody was just, you know, wild at it. And I was just like, oh, okay. But, I mean, I already, I already knew what I could do, and I just went out there and did it, so. Were you ticked off you didn't get invited to the combine? No, I wasn't I wasn't worried at all, so all ended up working out. It did. What you wound up getting drafted by the Bengals. Describe your draft experience. Um, draft experience, I was at home in Shreveport, had all my friends and family there, you know. And I'm not gonna lie, I was sitting there nervous. It was it's it's a real nervous process. So I was just sitting there real nervous, you know, people trying to comfort me but saying it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay. And um, I ended up getting a call from the Bengals, and it was pretty funny because my dad had on orange and black. He had on he had on orange and black that day, an orange shirt, some black jeans, and some orange shoes. I was like, how did he know that <laughs> I was getting drafted to the Bengals? So everybody was like, you must have already knew that he was getting drafted to the Bengals. So it was really it was really cool, and it was um, really fun that day, and everybody was just happy and excited for me. Your dad just has good fashion sense. Orange and black are good colors. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. We love orange and black around here. All right. A few more fun facts for Brandon Wilson. A few more wild card categories. Who is your all-time favorite athlete in any sport and why? Adrian Peterson. Um, always um, growing up watching him, you know. And I used to play running back, so, I mean, that was why I always kind of looked up to him. Um, he's a real, real good um, running back, hard worker. And um, that's just somebody I always, you know, idolized, looked up to. What do you like to spend your money on? Food. <laughs> I like to eat. I like to cook. Um, during the off season, you know, I kind of try to cook. But, you know, I like to eat a lot. Do you have a go-to dish that you cook if you're trying to impress somebody? I like to cook some steak, you know, maybe some seafood or something like that. That's my go-to dish. Last thing. Do you have a talent that most people don't know about? No, I do not. But I do wish I could, like, sing or play, like, instrument or something because I always think that's kind of cool if you can play an instrument. So I'm with you. If I could do it all over again, I would either play the guitar or the piano. Yes, sir. Me too. I wish I can. <laughs> <laughs> we have that in common. You're off the hot seat. I appreciate your time. Best of luck the rest of the year. Yes, sir. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean and give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback's been awesome and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde and thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.